Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Lindsay Carlson, pointing women toward the encouragement only God provides. A better way to encourage someone, rather than offering them a specific promise that we don't know is true, or offering them a solution that we just kind of make up on the spot, we can offer them a better encouragement by offering them promises that we know to be true because we are familiar with them from God's Word. Lindsay Carlson, next. Writer and speaker Lindsay Carlson says it's important for women to feel encouraged in genuine, meaningful ways. But she says Christian women can feel at a loss on how to encourage themselves and others since they're often most familiar with secular self-help messages. And Lindsay says these are a poor substitute for the gospel. With that in mind, she's written a better encouragement, trading self-help for true hope. Since Lindsay focuses on Scripture, men will, of course, find what she has to say very helpful as well. Here's Kimberly Birchall. Lindsay, to get started off, I'd like to ask you, what was it that just made you want to write a book on encouragement? How did your book come to be? Well, I just noticed so many women were hungry for encouragement. And so they were sitting around and talking about how um, discouraged they are without using that word. They weren't saying, I'm so discouraged. But they might say something like, man, parenting is just so hard. I feel so tired all the time. Or they might say something like, you know, wow, school has been really difficult or whatever phase of life that they might be in. And I really started to notice a lot of the times when we're voicing these different frustrations, the need behind it really is just to have encouragement. And then what they were looking for in that encouragement seemed to be something that I thought wow, is that actually what Christians are supposed to be looking for when we seek encouragement? Because I started realizing that the words that I was inclined to say a lot of the time when people would ask or would say something that would elicit my desire to encourage them, I would be encouraged to say something like, um, oh, I'm sure it'll pass, or I'm sure it'll be over soon, or oh, you'll get through it, or something really trite that felt right in the moment, or it felt like the thing that everybody tends to say. But the spirit just started convicting me and making me realize that I don't think is actually fitting the need of the moment. And what would it look like if I truly understood encouragement from a perspective of a follower of Christ? What should encouragement actually look like when I'm talking to fellow believers? And you mentioned discouragement. And so I did want to ask, the very first chapter then starts with discouragement, but it's a book on encouragement. <laughs> yes, I, you know, it's kind of tricky. I, I agree, you know, because I think if you're walking through a bookstore, if there are bookstores anymore, or, you know, if you're looking on Amazon, I don't think many of us would say like on an average day, yeah, I pretty much walk around discouraged all the time. So if it's not something that's like a very burning trial, like a major suffering, I think that we tend to not see our situation as living with kind of low level discouragement all the time, we tend to not pick up on it until it's a major trial, right? So if someone has died, we might say, oh, I'm really suffering. I need a book on suffering, but I'm not going to think, wow, I have kind of this low level discouragement going all the time in my 
relationship with my friends or in the job that feels like a dead end or whatever it might be. But I might be very excited to pick up a book about how could I be a better encourager to other people. But I think that what we miss is that if we don't understand what discouragement looks like in our own lives and recognize it for ourselves, then it makes us kind of um, anemic encouragers to other people because we aren't able to see discouragement and recognize it for what it is in others until we're able to really look inside and see what discouragement feels like for us on a personal level. And then as we kind of tend to recognize, oh, there's actually a lot of discouragement in my life that I maybe just ignore or tend to downplay because I don't feel right about it. Um, when we start to pull those pieces out and really think about ways that we commonly experience discouragement on a regular basis, it makes us better encouragers to one another because we start to recognize it and see those needs in other people. So give me a definition. How do you describe better encouragement? I'm going to actually tell you the quote that I have in my book, because I think it's um, a helpful way for us to think about it from a larger perspective. Better encouragement provides God's promises to God's people in order to help us endure with our hope set on Christ. The reason that I say that is because I'm not saying that encouragement is wrong. If we're saying something like, um, oh, I'm sure your, your bad haircut will grow back fast. And, you know, we want to encourage you to get through the, the rough days of having a bad haircut. Like it's not wrong to use encouragement sometimes just to be nice to people. But as Christians, this book is addressing a better encouragement because as the people of God, we are made to need a very specific kind of encouragement. And if we infuse worldly encouragement and think that that is all there is when we talk about encouragement, we miss the richness and the vast abundance that God has provided to us through his word. And so if the, if the definition says better encouragement provides God's promises, that's going to specifically tell us where we're talking about. And then it's providing God's promises to God's people, because we're not going to be extending promises of God to those who don't know God and who are not living under the blessing of the new covenant. So that helps us to endure with our hope fixed on Christ when we belong to him. So better encouragement is, is giving us the who, who is it for, and what is it for? And it actually drives us to be able to see needs in other people that provide encouragement for a kingdom-minded purpose. Can you give me an example? I am thinking specifically about a saint that is a good friend of mine. She's 84 years old. And she has been having severe, severe pain. Um, her body is broken and she's unable to find um, a, a immediate cure, right? And so I spoke with her the other day and she was telling me about how just it hurts to get up. It hurts to sit down. Um, this woman is not a complainer. I know her. She was in my local body um, of uh, believers and she's not a complainer. And she's been seeking answers for um, from doctors for like probably six weeks to no avail. In my days before I started studying encouragement, I think what I would have said to her is, oh gosh, Nancy, I'm so sorry that you're hurting. I'm sure you'll find an answer soon. That would have sounded very encouraging. Or I could have said something like, you know what, what you need to do is you need to get up and go take a walk every day because I've heard stretching is really great for your back. I am encouraging her to stretch, right? But both of those are offering her either a promise that may be a false promise, 
it's not, I don't know if her answers are coming quickly or they're offering a way to fix something. Like I have the answer to this problem. I know the solution, a better way to encourage someone rather than offering them a specific promise that we don't know is true or offering them a solution that we just kind of make up on the spot. We can offer them a better encouragement by offering them promises that we know to be true because we are familiar with them from God's word. So I might say something to Nancy, like, I am so sorry that you're suffering. I'm so thankful to know in suffering that God is near us and that God hears the cries of his saints and that he has not forgotten. And I will be praying for you that you would know the Lord's mercy or that you would feel comfort when you cry out to him in pain. So saying things that are specifically speaking scripture to the believer or reminding them of God's presence or God's ability to comfort, because we know these things to be tangible, specific encouragements that have been given to God's people as sure and steady anchors for our soul, because those are not going to be something that they trust in and then are severely disappointed when they don't find a doctor that gives them answers. They're also going to be able to sustain the believer through a trial that we're not able to know how long that trial lasts. So a better encouragement, ultimately, I think, I think of Hebrews 12, 24, that says Christ speaks a better word. I think of a better word mm-hmm. as the better covenant of Jesus. So in the old Testament, we had the old covenant law that was works, right? You do this, you get this, mm-hmm. you obey, you get good gifts. Now we have a better word of encouragement because it's not dependent on us to fulfill what we need to receive God's blessing. So through Christ, we have a better word of encouragement through Jesus's sacrifice. And so I think that you can, you can kind of think of encouragement as you seek to frame it, not as like, wow, I have to be really smart and to know all the things that are in that other person and all of their, you know, personal struggles and everything. But if you know Jesus, you know, the better covenant and you know, the better encouragement is in Christ and in his ability to provide what we don't have. I'm going to back up for just a minute. I want to ask another question about discouragement. Uh, You say that women must avoid the temptation to follow their discouragement down the cultural causeway that leads to self-help strategies. And it might be obvious to some, but maybe not to others as to why that's not really the best way to go. So help us out here. What would you, how would you encourage a person to not go that direction? Sure. And this is where I think it was so important to put this chapter on discouragement at the very beginning, because I think that we are so internally wired to look for self-help solutions because we grow up being given self-help solutions. So for instance, if I struggle with my weight after having a baby and I say to a friend, you know, I put on this much weight, I'm really struggling to get it off. How much easier is it for that friend to say, you know, what's really helped me is this specific weight loss program, or, you know, what's really helped me is uh, just cutting out carbs, or, you know, what's really helped me because we are so much quicker to run to helps that we can create and that we can control. And we don't like to wait and we don't like to be uncertain about the outcome of things. And so even if you, if you look back to like the days of uh, Norman Vincent Peale, power of positive thinking all the way back there began this, uh, the system of believe this thing and it will come to pass. 
and it will be true. Speak it into being and it will happen. And the, uh, as a, my husband is a pastor and he is regularly pastoring people to take comfort in the gospel. When we take comfort in anything other than the gospel, we are being pastored to something that may or may not be true. So positive thinking, the power of positive thinking, it sets us up to really think I can control this. It is in my power to change the fact that I feel discouraged right now. So like I use the example of weight loss, but I think it can also play out in, wow, I feel like I've been really disorganized. My house is a mess. Well, if I could just get on top of things and get this new organizational system going, then I wouldn't feel so depressed all day. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we see this play out, but I like to kind of think of it as that bootstrap mentality where we just think if I could just take a deep breath, pull myself up by the bootstraps and get my act together, then I would not feel so discouraged. Then I would not feel so ashamed, whatever that might be. But whatever it is, those self-help kind of tools that we tend to gravitate toward because they're within our reach actually are breaking down the system that God designed to lead us to him for help. Yes. I really loved this. You said that we should take discouragement as an indicator of spiritual thirst. Yeah. So I, I have tried um, from a very early age to teach my children to recognize when they feel thirsty. Like you're not always um, hungry or you're not always bored or sometimes your body just needs water. But if I fed them soda kind of all day long, they would never naturally choose water because they would get so addicted to that sugar and all that's all that they would want. I think as um, at least Americans, we are so oversaturated with resources and whether that's, you know, Instagram people that we follow or books that we can get our hands on or um, friends that have solutions, all of these different things. We are not at a lack for information or for gaining what we see as knowledge or experience. But what we lack is that understanding of thirst and understanding that we are created with a thirst that is meant to be satisfied only by the living water of Jesus. And so we kind of start substituting because we don't understand what thirst is supposed to feel like. And so we don't understand the symptoms of thirst, like longing or jealousy or discontent or um feelings of failure, all of those things are thirsts within our hearts that are supposed to be an invitation to come and drink of the living water and abide at the waters of life. And, um, and so I think that if we, if we are able to say, if Jesus was meant to be the living water, who was meant to restore my soul, then how do I come and sit at his feet? And how do I keep myself from running to the sugary kind of sweet worldly alternatives that tend to tempt us very, very easily, because those are the things it's much easier to get our hands on, but it's not like we lack scripture. It's not like we lack Bible time. Um, it's more of that. We lack the direction to think this really will nourish my soul. If I, if I invite it to. So how do you personally make yourself go, Oh, wait, I need to be doing something else. I need to be running to Jesus here. Oh, this discouragement is trying to lead me to Jesus. How do you, what's your personal way that you do that? In every area, um, the very, very first thing I've learned to do is just confess. Um, to And not to confess in a like, I feel guilty way, 
but in a way that just recognizes, oh, this is what this is what is going on right now. This is what's happening. I'm I'm going down the the path of discouragement, and it's not wrong that I'm going down the the path of discouragement because you see in the Bible, like I think about um, in the Old Testament when when the Lord commissions Moses to commission Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And he says, go and encourage Joshua. And what he says to him, when he says to go encourage him, he's not saying because Joshua is being unfaithful or because Joshua is so wrapped up in the world that he lives in. He's saying, go encourage Joshua because he knows the task at hand is actually a really big, important one that he has put before him. And so he then provides to Moses, and this is what you say. And we see later in Deuteronomy where he actually says to when Moses goes to encourage him, he says, be strong and courageous. The Lord, your God is with you. And so that encouragement is not like, hey, Joshua, you're such a strong leader. You're going to totally get this. He says, the Lord is with you. And so I think that I have learned to start immediately recognizing when it's something that um, that is a lack of courage in my own heart, because it's evidence that there is somewhere in my heart that is disbelieving a promise of God, whatever that might be. Mm. It might be that I don't believe that God is going to provide for me. Mm. It might be that I don't believe that God actually loves me. If he withholds something, it might be that I doubt whether or not God is good. If he allowed something hard to happen to me, wherever it is, I, I begin to ask the Lord, Lord, I confess, I confess I'm discouraged. And I think I'm specifically discouraged that this situation is going on, or that I haven't seen this, or that you haven't seemed to answer this, or that this person has hurt me. I confess. Then I ask, Lord, what do I need to take from your word that I'm thirsting for? What is it that I need to be encouraged by? What promise do you have for me in your word that I can be restored by and nourished by? Because there's some nourishment that I'm lacking that the Holy Spirit must pour in. So we have a very short attention span in that we want to sit down in our Bible, read a scripture, immediately walk away with a feeling of courage and think that's it. That's it's the key. It's like a magic potion. And it's not. Sometimes it's showing up day after day, confessing, asking for help, waiting on the Lord and trusting that he will provide what we need, but it might not be on our timetable. And so I think that we have to have a um, understanding that God's timing is not our timing, but that just because we don't feel this instantaneous, you know, puffing up does not mean that God's word is not pouring in and investing and nourishing our heart. But I do think that the more that we get in the rhythm and routine of being in the word on a daily basis, the more that we will start to see God's word being fulfilled in our lives. And the more that we see that, the more encouraged we are by his Holy Spirit active and living and working within us. Yes, I think you said something very important. You said showing up day after day and confessing it again. I think I've heard many women who just feel like, well, God doesn't want to hear about it again or, you know, whatever, instead of realizing that I guess I might say we need to build ourselves up in our most holy faith over and over again. So it sounded like that's what you were saying to me. And I thought that was so important that um, to encourage one another to, to show up the next day then and, and do it again. Yes. And Ephesians 4.29 says, do not grow weary of doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. 
And so I think what encouragement is doing in when it's God's word is equipping us to show up day after day. And sometimes some days are minute by minute for me. I mean, sometimes when, when life is just hard, I've been in frequent seasons where I show up to scripture at 6am when I wake up and say, Lord, fill me. And I feel good for two hours. And then all of a sudden my, my heart is in, you know, low gear. All of a sudden I'm back to lamenting. I'm back to crying out. And sometimes in those moments, I need to stop and pause and go back to a scripture or even grab something that can help me take uh, every thought captive. And I have to be refueled multiple times a day. I mean, if we go on a long road trip, we don't say, well, I filled up the gas tank one time. I don't need to fill up for the rest of the trip. We fill up as we need gas to keep going on that trip. And encouragement should be doing that same thing. Describe for me what you call the substance of encouragement. So the substance of encouragement means, again, what are the promises actually extending us? So when we say, I'm sure things will get better, what do we hope that they will take from that? Typically, we want people to feel better, right? So if we are believers promising a better encouragement, the substance of our encouragement must provide them a promise that actually holds true and is actually giving them a gift. And that gift is something that is dependable, reliable, and totally guaranteed, which that's where we look at the Hebrews 12, 24 about Christ speaking a better word. He is guaranteeing a new covenant. He is guaranteeing that he is going to provide for us. So the substance that he provides is enormous, right? He provides comfort. He provides power. He provides hope. He provides all of these different things without measure to those who trust him. And so if we think about Abraham, who looked at the stars that were as numerous as the sky, and he believed that God would fulfill his promise, we have seen Christ. We have seen that covenant fulfilled. So the substance of our encouragement is the hope that we know that Christ is going to fulfill every single promise. So if I say something to someone like, you know, uh, hope does not disappoint. So hoping in God is not going to disappoint. I know that that is a promise that will pay off and come true, even if right now it doesn't feel like it will. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can make that promise with confidence. So I think substantial, if you think of substantial, it means what is the substance of the word? Um, there's also another way to think about um, one of the catechism questions. Um, I think it's from the Westminster Catechism talks about um, avoiding vain uh, and empty janglings, like vain words and empty janglings. And so it talks about like, how many times are we offering words and promises that are just empty, like the bottom falls out of them. And so the substance of encouragement should be something that we know the bottom is not going to fall out. We know that we're offering them something that will ring true and is able to be backed by God's word. How do we, practically speaking, stand by the strength of Christ? I think awkwardly is the first word that I would use. <laughs> That's good. Right? I think that sometimes we think standing by the strength of Christ means like taking a really big, deep breath and like puffing out our chest and putting our hands on our hips. And then we just suddenly magically feel better and we power through something. And I think that's not, that's not what you see in Jesus. Like that's not how Jesus is standing in strength when he's on the cross and suffering and crying out to the father. Right. right. So I think that we have to think about strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Christ's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So when we talk about standing firm in the strength of God, it doesn't mean standing self-confidently in the strength of God. It means standing with the understanding that my weakness is not changing place before a holy God. He is not going to abandon me because I am messing this up over and over again. He is not going to leave me on my own because he's promised that he will help me. So I think that it is, it is a renewing of the mind with promises that are not self-focused and reprogramming us to say, when I can't stand up because my knees are shaking, I know that I can't mess this up, that this, there is a sovereign God who orders all of my steps. And even when my plans fail, God's plans don't. It helps us to reorient our weakness into a place that is hidden in the cleft of the rock. Um, so I think I say awkwardly because I think that sometimes we expect it to look really neat and tidy and impressive. And it just some, most of the time, I don't think it does. I think it looks like suffering and, and dependence. Lindsay, at the end of the book, there was a note on building a culture of encouragement in your church. What would you like to say to our listeners about how they can do that? I think that women are very quick to problem solve and think, oh man, we really have a problem with discouragement in our church or, oh man, I really wish our church was filled with more encouraging people, but we're very slow to think, how could I pick up the mantle of becoming a better encourager within the body of Christ that he has placed me in? And so I think that the first thing that anyone who reads this book should be encouraged to do is think about how might God be calling me to be an encourager within the body of Christ? I don't think that building a culture of encouragement is a programmatic element that's like, okay, we need to meet three times a month and we need to sit around the table and say, you're so pretty or wow, God loves you. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is having a culture that looks for ways to meet needs for biblical courage in one another. So that means that in order for me to speak life-giving words that provide courage and strength to another sister in Christ. I need to know them well enough to know when they're struggling. I need to understand how they are lacking in faith or how they might be weak. When you see Christ being gentle with the weak and strengthening weak hands and all of those things, those are things that happen because of recognized and understand weakness and need. So I need to be willing to say, what do others need that I might be able to give them a word that is fitly spoken? And when I say fitly spoken, we have to understand our place in relationships. We have to understand where words are welcome. And that's, that's really vulnerable to put ourselves in a place where we're saying, I think that this scripture might really reach out and minister to this person, but they also might read it and think, why is she sending me that? What is she thinking? So I think it takes seeing needs in others, but it also takes being very, being able to be very patient and vulnerable as you seek to start encouraging others. And it takes a time of building trust among women. And I think that as women start to get a vision for this and they begin to speak encouragement into one another's lives and to see each other as people who are weak and vulnerable and in need of Christ's strength, because really that's what we believe the gospel is telling us, right? Then we start to see ways that we can step in as servants that aren't being asked to volunteer for whole new ministries or to head up whole committees or to make 8 million phone calls. But we're just being asked to look at people as Jesus looked at people and to speak life into them with the promises of God. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, writer and speaker, Lindsay Carlson. 
author of A Better Encouragement, Trading Self-Help for True Hope. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Stan Didham's helping bring hope to people living in the Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya, Africa. They often don't even have citizenship or, you know, any documentation to prove that they're, uh, you know, uh, they're they're sort of um, homeless in the worst possible sense, not even having a country uh, to live in. So, I mean, it's it's sort of the worst of all possible worlds and just, to me, kind of exemplifies the kind of people that God would like us to be looking out for and giving our attention to. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.